uh, and, and, and you can get our newsletter that we put out every week that shares what we're doing and what's going on in the church. And you can do that online as well at sbctruckee.com. There's a space uh, down at the bottom of the webpage where you can sign up for the newsletter on there. And I just want to share a couple things before we get uh, into uh, the Word. You can turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6. Uh, but first one, I just want to mention the Gustafson family. Uh, they're, uh, they've been part of our church for a few years now. Uh, we love them deeply, care about them greatly, and want to encourage you to pray for them. She's actually uh, going to be tackling a whole other round of chemo for breast cancer. Uh, and on our newsletter or on the webpage, there's a newsletter tab. Uh, you can uh, open that up, and there's a link for a meal train for her. Uh, they're looking for some dinners for the next several months, all the way through summer, I believe. And there's still some spaces available there if you want to help out and uh, cook them a meal and take care uh, of them and their family. Uh, Matt is a local dentist for kids. All four of my kids go there and get their teeth checked on and, and, and all of that, and uh, he does a tremendous job. And so we just want to support them, love on them, and appreciate them. So make sure you look into that. And then on Thursday nights, I just want to mention this again, try to mention as much as we can. We do a prayer night uh, every Thursday night next door. We started it really close to around the time we, we uh, made the decision to come inside. And um, man, I really think uh, that this prayer time is one of the reasons why our church is thriving and, and doing so well. Uh, and in fact, at my wife and I were talking about just the other day about how just the idea of prayer and people seeking God and asking for God's provision and his protection, uh, that it, we think it's been a really big deal. In fact, last week, um, just to give you an idea of, of how cool God has been working last week between what happens downstairs with, with some of the junior high kids, uh, the nursery and children's church, last week and just, just our second service alone, 97 kids uh, were next door. So just under 100 kids. That's amazing. Keep having babies. Just keep having babies. Okay? Um, and so uh, we're, we're really blessed by that. And, um, uh, and then we have a thriving junior high and senior high program, and that happens on Wednesday nights. And Caleb's going to share a couple things that we have planned uh, for the coming year. So would you welcome up our youth pastor, Caleb, uh, as he shares with us. Good morning. Um, I'm excited to share. We have a couple events coming up. May 14th is a Friday. We're going ho- to host a dance here at the church, kind of in lieu of um, the high schools not having prom. And for us in this season, it's like, what advantages can we take a hold of during COVID? And this is one of them. We can get a, hopefully, our, our desire is to get a bunch of kids in here who've never been to church, who don't know Jesus, and we'll host a dance and, and take some time to preach the gospel to them and uh, expose them to Jesus. So please be in prayer for that, that um, as a church we're protected from the powers that be that may want to like put the kibosh on that, that um, we'd have favor with parents and students coming. Um, We have a a couple needs with that coming up. Uh, We need chaperones both inside and outside. So if you want to come and hang out next to a space heater outside and keep an eye on the parking lot, please uh, let me know. We need a, a, a decoration crew, and we need a cleanup crew on Saturday to come and make sure that we're ready for Sunday service. And, um, and we need funds to help uh, set this up and make this uh, you know, um, a gift to the students in this community. Uh, I had a couple of the girls in the high school group. This was their idea. They brought it to me, and I was like, prom at the church. Oh, um, uh, <laughs> and then as we started to talk about it, it 
it's like, this could actually be really cool. This could be amazing. Um, and so Allie's going to come and teach a couple um, formal dances, as well as like just having kind of an open floor. But um, there's a lot of neat things that, that could happen in, as far as redeeming that night. And so really high hopes for this. Please be in prayer for it. That is, it effect, that it is effective in reaching students in our community. Um, and then as well, I, I just want you guys to put on your calendars, parents, we have two summer camps coming up at the end of June. High school summer camp will start June 18th through the 22nd. That's for the high schoolers, June 18th through the 22nd. And then June 26th through the 30th is the junior high camp. So please mark those down in your uh, summer calendars and summer schedules, and hopefully your students will be able to attend. And summer camp is um, it's better than Christmas. I stink and love it. And um, yeah, Kim's been there. She's cooked a couple years in a row. Um, we, yeah, all right. Kim's going to come all the way up from Southern California and cook at this thing. And it's hard work, but it's amazing. It is the most incredible. The, the high school camp we run, it's, we just rent out the facility, and we, we cook, and we do the games, and we, do, we set up the cabins. It's, it's kind of our show, and we get to run it. And I can't tell you just the family feel that happens at summer camp. You get kids away from their cell phones, and there's no cell service up there, which is perfect. Um, and you get kids away from the world, and you, you just... Give them Bible study. Have times of worship and prayer. Feed them food. And amazing things happen. Amazing things happen. So please mark that down in your calendar. It is my favorite thing in the whole year. I stink and love it. So please, um, June 28th, no, sorry, June 18th through the 22nd for high schoolers, June 26th through the 30th for junior high. Thank you very much. We do staff meetings every week, and Caleb comes in and says, hey, can we do prom at church? And, uh, and I immediately was like, oh, man, let's just not call it prom, and then we'll be okay. <laughs> um, so, uh, but, hey, I, these are those kind of moments we celebrate when, when culture says, you know what, we're going to shut down everything. And, and some of these uh, seniors and juniors, you know, missing out on a full year of, of just celebrating. And so we get to redeem that and open up the building for kids who would never maybe be in the building and uh, have a dance in a safe place. And, and uh, like Caleb said, I, I actually am going to come and share a devotional about Christ, so pray for me as, as there's an opportunity there to preach the gospel to some of these kids. And, and then my wife informed me that since she's teaching some dances, I will be the partner and I have to learn some stuff too. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. That's, why are you clapping? Um, my wife, I don't know if you guys know this, uh, just to brag on her a little bit, she, she actually, she graduated from University of Nevada, Reno, and, uh, she got a minor, uh, in dance from UNR, and she is an, incredibly talented in that realm, and she was the star of many shows at University of Nevada, uh, and so, um, yeah, she, she's always trying to get me to dance, and I sometimes go along with it. Um, First Timothy chapter 6. Uh, we're getting kind of close to wrapping up this book, and we'll do some topical stuff next uh, next month, and then we'll dive into Habakkuk uh, in March. But um, Paul is instructing this young pastor, uh, Timothy. He's been part of this church, and the church is going through its own set of struggles uh, in Ephesus in the day that this is being written. There's some false teachers that have arisen inside of the church. Uh, leaders that have no business being leaders are 
stepping in. There's some family dynamics that are kind of not working out so well. The widows are not necessarily being uh, taken care of. And so Paul is just instructing Timothy, listen, you can do this. Don't grow weary. You can do this. Uh, But remember what a true church is. A true church instructs. A a true church teaches doctrine, teaches the Bible. A true church focuses on Jesus. and, And he begins to get a little bit personal near the end of the letter. So the first part of the letter was a lot of, this is the structure of the church. This is what leaders look like in the church. And now he starts to get a little bit more personal in chapter five and in chapter six. And last week, we talked about how God cares about our work. He cares about us as, as those of us who are employees and those of us who are bosses and that we don't find our identity from work, but we are to represent who Jesus is in the workplace and to our employers that we should be the best employees that there are. And we also talked about uh, how God really cares about what we think about him. He cares about our theology. Uh, and as we say, everyone is a theologian. Every single person is a theologian. If you have a thought about God, that is a theological thought. You're a theologian, but Paul's instructing Timothy, be a good theologian. Know what is right thinking about God, right thinking about church. He tells basically Timothy there's two kinds of teaching. There's good teaching, and that good teaching comes from the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit points us back to the Bible, back to gospel centrality, back to grace, that we're saved by grace alone in faith alone, in Jesus alone. And he also tells Timothy, you do know there's bad theology out there. There's bad teachers, bad books, uh, bad doctrine, bad churches. And those churches, those books, those theologies are demonic. They come from the pit of hell. And so he's helping us to stand on truth. Uh, now he's going to meddle even more. And And when the Bible meddles, uh, when it gets into our personal lives, it's my joy to a certain degree to meddle with you as well. And so uh, the topic at hand this morning is about our commitment, uh, our, our, I'm sorry, not our commitment, but our, our contentment, uh, and also about how we think about money. And I always have to, whenever we talk about money in the church, it, it always kind of feels like from the pastoral perspective uh, in the American culture that this is a bad thing because so many churches have dealt money in such a poor way or they've abused it or they've built huge tabernacles with it or uh, they, they have fleeced those who are weak. But the Bible has a lot to say about finances. It has a lot to say about how we deal with our money and with our, our wallet book, our checkbook, or our debit card, or our credit card. And so uh, we're going to talk about those things. So if you would... Would you, uh, uh, with me, because we love the Scripture, we love the Word of God, and if you're at home, join in with us as well as we stand for the reading of Scripture. And we're going to start in verse 6. Chapter 6, verse 6, Paul's letter to Timothy. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich, they fall in temptation into a snare and to many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and they've pierced themselves with many pangs. Lord, we ask that you, you would meddle with us. But we know as you mold us and shape us, and you cut things out of our life that don't belong, and as you put things in our life that do, that, that you are so gentle and kind as you do it. 
And so I ask for your spirit to be present in this room, that you would transform us into your likeness, Lord. In Jesus' name, the church said, amen. Um, so we do know at this particular point, even, even as we have decided so many months ago to be inside this room with one another, we basically have made a stance to the culture and to the world, and I think we all are well aware that, that Christians are supposed to look different than the rest of the world, amen? There is something that is different about us. To some, it might be offensive. To some, it might be attractive. But nonetheless, uh, we're to look differently. And Paul tells us many different ways in this letter, as well as throughout Scripture, how we are to look different, that we're to be servants. We're not to be leading with, with a bullish attitude, but we're to be individuals that kind of just love our neighbor and love our enemies. And now, Paul, he, he says, okay, let, let's, as a church, let's talk about the idea of, of contentment. What makes you happy? What makes you feel secure? Contentment, I would argue, the best way to define contentment, at least the way in which I've uh, decided to define contentment uh, for the purpose of this message this morning is a love for the simplicities of life. A love for the simplicities of life. Have you ever really desired something and chased after that something, only to end up ruining something. Now, let me give you an example. Something you've really wanted, maybe you really ran after. Uh, when my wife and I, when we were able to purchase our first home uh, in Glenshire, uh, we uh, had, I think, Peyton at the time, and Allie was pregnant with our second, which would be Jonah, and, uh, and we had had a car that my dad gave us uh, from his, he used to have an auto uh, repair business. And occasionally someone would be so over their car, they would literally, uh, because they couldn't afford the repairs, they would leave it at the auto shop. And there's a process in which eventually my dad could end up owning that car. It's kind of a lengthy process, but he ended up getting a, a Ford Explorer. And we needed a four-wheel drive uh, car. And so for uh, a, a while, uh, we drove this, this Explorer. This was our car. And if you've ever driven a Ford Exploder, you know at some point it's time to get a different car, right? <laughs> and so we were at this process where we, we now needed to get another car. We had the funds where we could purchase a car. We had two kids. And because, uh, you know, I've, I've shared this in the past, one of the things we do in our culture is we kind of attach our identity to the kind of car that we drive. And, and so my wife says to me, we've got a couple kids. It'd be really smart if we bought a Honda Pilot. And I said, I don't drive Honda Pilots. That's not what I drive. I drive Subaru WRXs with, 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 with turbochargers in them. And so I bought my wife a Subaru WRX. Okay? I, I blessed her with, with a car that was also a stick shift, which she had never driven. So, so I wanted this car. I got the car. Because I thought this will make me, you know, content and happy. This is what I want. And, and it became really clear after a short amount of time that putting two car seats in the back of a WRX with two adults and trying to do a Costco run was not going to be sustainable. <laughs> it became really clear that you can't, we can't do this. And then all of a sudden, uh, I can't remember what the breaking point was. It might have been the third pregnancy where we realized this is not going to work. And so we ended up having to trade the car in, and we got a Honda Pilot, okay? 
It's just an example of, of, of thinking that something is going to make you happy, uh, thinking that having a certain thing, a material item, whatever it may be, a relationship, or, or maybe it could even be wanting to have children that, that you think, I can fix my lack of joy in my life if I just have this particular thing or relationship or business or, or whatever it might be if I live in a different place. And what Paul is basically talking about with contentment is he's saying, hey, listen, it's, it's living simply that makes you really happy. It's the simplicities of life that really make you happy. Paul reiterates this and says, if you have food, if you have clothing, and you have shelter, be happy with these things. In fact, he, he, he is te- teaching us something that our culture just simply doesn't teach us. I mean, this is the, the whole goal of advertising. The whole point of advertising in our world is to get you to spend money on stuff you don't need. Isn't it? I mean, my kids, we don't have cable television, so whenever they see a commercial, they're always like, what is this thing? This, what is this? Like, it's a commercial. I've had to explain to my kids what commercials are. And when they see their show being interrupted by a commercial, they're so taken back. They're like, Dad, why do they keep showing these? And I explain to my children, the, these commercials are designed to make you unhappy with what you have so that you'll ask your parents to go get that thing. It's taught from a young age, right? I mean, my kids, see, they see a cereal commercial, they're like, we got to have that. That Lucky Charms guy looks so happy. If we just eat some little, you know, sugary things, we'll be happy. No, no. and you know, so we don't buy it. You know who does? My mother-in-law, she buys it. She sends it. <laughs> the whole goal of advertising is to make you feel unhappy. And the world is constantly telling you to attach your identity to your stuff rather than Christ. Right? In fact, MacArthur has this great line. He says, our society replaces people with things, conversations with entertainment. Right? The accumulation of wanting more, it's just driven into us every single day. Philippians chapter 5, verse 11 says this. Paul, this is Paul again speaking, that he, he knows. He says, I'm not speaking of being in need, but I've learned. That's a key word in the text. I've learned that whatever situation I'm in, to be content. He says, I know what it is to be brought low. I know how, what it is to abound. And in every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger and abundance and need. And yet Paul says, I've learned the secret of contentment. Right? Another thing that, 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 that's really difficult that, that we need to learn to do about fixing this idea of contentment is to simply, simply live in the moment. Right? Like be in the moment. There's a few things that we need to do as Christians, I think, to fix our, our, our craving for more. And that's number one, it's to be thankful for what God has given you. First Thessalonians says this, chapter 5, verse 18, give thanks in all circumstances. I'm just going to read that first part to you. Give thanks in what circumstances? All. All. So, so give thanks when my guy doesn't get elected as president, that's covered under all. Uh, give thanks if I, I, I'm forced to have to wear a mask in the grocery store, give, give thanks. Every circumstance, and then I love what he says after this, give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. I, I like this line because Oftentimes, especially when I was doing youth ministry, you talk to college students and they're trying to figure out, what's God's will for my life, man? 
Right? Isn't that a I mean, I asked that question when I was younger. What does God want me to do? That's how young kids talk now. God, no, they don't. I'm just kidding. And, and I, I get to share just from Scripture. You want to know God's will for your life? Say thank you. Say thank you. A lot. Uh, you know, one of the things that's been really cool, I've received two letters from younger people in the last several months in our church, j- written letters, by the way, just saying, thank you. A written letter from a young person. Two of them. I didn't even know they knew how to do that. <laughs> I don't write letters. I, I type everything. My handwriting is horrible. That's number one. Number one, just give thanks. Number two, live simply. Live simply. Just cut some things out of your life. Because it's easy to make life more complex. And that's what the accumulation of stuff does. It makes life more complex and more complicated. The more things you have, the more things you have to take care of. Right? When we lived in Glenshire, we had a huge backyard with grass and a huge front yard with grass. And those of you who know me, you know that I like to make my grass as green as possible for the glory of God. Right? When we, when, when, we, when we moved in, the grass wasn't totally all fixed up. The, 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 some of the water lines were broken. We went in, fixed them, watered that thing, fertilized the heck out of it. It grew it all back, it, you know, thick and lush. And people would say, where do you live in Glenshire? I live on Wiltshire. And they'd be like, oh, you're the guy with the green, green grass in the front yard. And I'm like, yeah, for the glory of God. <laughs> then when we moved into Sierra Meadows, uh, we put in a, a lawn in the back because the house didn't have it have it, and we made it half the size. You want to know why? It was too much to take care of, okay? Too much fertilizing, too many broken lines. Too, it was just too, it was more than I wanted. The, the older I get, the more I'm like, let's just make things simple. Let's make things easy. Let's get rid of stuff. Every Christmas, do you know what we do with all four of my kids? Every Christmas, right before Christmas, we do the purge. We go in every room with the kids sometimes, Sometimes not because they argue with, they don't want to get rid of anything. And we just throw things away. And then we don't do this. This is kind of a little knock on some of y'all. We don't bring those things to the church and be like, here, you want our stuff? No. Church doesn't want your junk, okay? They want new things. Church wants new things. We'll get to that in a moment. (laughs) Simplicity. Simplicity is key to contentment, to happiness, to joy. Because Paul literally says here, he says, a simple life is gain. Contentment is gain. So he's not against gain. He, he wants us to enjoy much, but he's letting us know that, that, that gain is not by gaining more, but with simplicity. Trusting in the Lord with all your heart. And just trusting God that he's going to provide for you. Because the best delights, this is the other solution to, to gaining our contentment, the best delights are twofold. Number one, creation, and number two, relationships. I say creation, really another way I could say creation is is to just be in the moment. How many of you shoveled snow the last couple days? Oh, that's a lot of you. That's interesting. Um, Yeah, we, we got some snow. If you didn't notice, we got some snow. And so I cleared the snow the other day, and I knew it was going to be a sunny day, so I could get all the cleanup. And one of the things I like to do is kind of an OCD guy. I like to make sure that we get that driveway all the way down to pavement. And so I'm out there, driveways down to pavement. It's clean. I got those lines. I really like the, the way, you know, snow stacks up. You get some real nice straight lines in there. 
clean up near the, 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 the box you put your mail in, the mailbox. And, uh, <laughs> and, and just, man, just, just having, having it just look good. And then I was all done. You know, I was all sweaty because that's what happens. I don't know if you've ever noticed when you shovel snow, you go out cold. And by the time you're done, you're too hot and you're sweating, right? And, and the sun's out, and there's steam coming up off of, off of the, 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 the road, and then there's, there's, the trees are raining because the sun's hitting it, and they're melting. And, 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 and I just stood out there, and I listened to the sounds of the birds and looked at my clean lines, and just I just stood out there to enjoy the moment. I know it sounds ridiculous, but it was like, and every now and then, I have to do this in Truckee, California. I got to go outside in the cold air and just go, and feel the cold in my lungs, and feel the fresh air, and say, thank you, God, for creating such a beautiful place. Do the same thing at night with the stars, right? And here's, here's kind of uh, the instruction, I think, about enjoying creation, enjoying the moment, is enjoy your moment. Don't enjoy someone else's moment. Because this is what we do as a culture. It's been taught to us to, to get outside of the moment and just start scrolling through everybody else's moment. And then all of a sudden we start falling into that huge sin of comparison and covetousness. Oh, look, so-and-so is out playing in the snow. Oh, wow, Bob's really hitting the pow-pow there. That looks great. I wish I could do that. Oh, man, her kids look so happy. Geez, she exercises a lot. Wow, they got a new car. Oh, you just keep going through the whole thing. And then all of a sudden, you're not happy with what you have. You want a bigger house. You want a new car. You want a different relationship. You want new clothing. And you're just never happy, never satisfied, always consuming. Because that is the American culture. Consumption. Get more. Spend more. Acquire more. Get new. That's why a new phone comes. There's no way. Well, there's no way we need a new phone every two years. You know that, right? There's absolutely no way. But because of our culture, we're so bought into consumerism that we've bought into the idea that, that we've got to get a new phone, and we're okay with the fact that they keep bricking the old phone. So when it comes to a place like, well, I got a new phone. Why? Because it's not working anymore. Why is it not working anymore? Well, because they updated the phone, and now they don't update the other phone. You've got to get a new phone. I need a new camera on that phone. I got to take more pictures of my kids. You know, my wife actually has, has actually said to me at certain moments, you don't take enough pictures. And I go, that's because I'm too busy trying to be in the moment. Instead of taking pictures of everything. And then I get on my phone and I'm looking at my phone. And I've got 10 million pictures nobody wants to look at. <laughs> nobody but me. Be in the moment. Don't be in someone else's moment. Contentment is always in the now, and contentment is not where you live. Contentment is not what kind of home you have, what kind of car you drive. Contentment is not in the kind of money you have or how much you have. Contentment is in none of those things. Contentment is not in culture. Contentment is in Christ. And then the second one, relationships, right? The simplicities of life, being in the moment, being outside, enjoying the great outdoors, but also relationships, people. People matter to God, amen? Our relationships with one another matter. In fact, John Piper has 
a great line where he says it like this in this paragraph, after your basic needs are met, money begins to diminish your capacity for these pleasures rather than increase them. Buying things contributes absolutely nothing to the heart's capacity for joy. There's a deep difference between the temporary thrill of a new toy and the homecoming hug from a devoted friend. Who do you think has the deepest, most satisfying joy in life? The man who pays $100 for a 40th floor, I'm sure that's supposed to say more than $100, but for a 40th floor suite downtown and spends his evening in half-lit, smoke-filled lounge impressing strange women with $10 cocktails, or the man who chooses the Motel 6 by a vacant lot of sunflowers and spends his evening watching the sunset and writing a love letter to his wife. What a great comparison. It's this idea that God's saying, listen, you don't need more things. That's the good news. You need better friendships, better relationships. Uh, One of the reasons that, that we have come together as a church is because we know that relationships matter and we know that we cannot meet needs unless we're able to mingle with those and know their needs. It's just, it's not impossible to do over the phone, not impossible to do through uh, video and, and Facebook and all these different things, but we're meant to be with one another to know how we're really doing. We're intended to be in relationship. We're intended to sit down with a meal with one another. Right? We, we know that God has created us for these things. And so we must simplify. And then what's happening inside of the church is Paul lets us know, he mentions it actually in the previous sentence, that that there are those who are teaching certain doctrines. There There are those in the church that are leading in the church that are using godliness as a means of gain. That there were leaders who were, who were literally using the gospel to get rich. Okay, that's a problem. That's a huge problem. Those leaders should be rebuked. There, there's no reason why a televangelist needs a multi-million dollar airplane just for himself. There is no reason for a pastor to be driving around in a Bentley. There's no reason for a pastor to have a mansion unless he's using it to house many orphans. There's absolutely no reason for a minister of God's word to be using God's word as a means of gain. And so Paul begins to tell Timothy, as he starts to talk about money here, he, he says, not only do you need to be content, but, but, but Timothy, you, you've got to teach the church that I care about how they spend their money and how they use their money. That, that when we come to, to church, that we have to start uh, to see and view as Christians, as we rub against the grain of culture, as we live for Christ, uh, God has a lot to say about money. In fact, There's more, probably almost, than any other topic in all of the Bible, money is talked about the most. And the rebuke, the the encouragement, or however you want to say it, that Paul is giving Timothy is not to love financial gain. Don't fall in love with financial gain for, for several reasons. Number one, he says, you can't take it with you. You got to be content with what you have and not a lot of stuff because you can't take it with you. Right? He says it here in the text, you came into this world with what? Nothing. <laughs> and and you're, when you leave this world, you bring nothing. Uh, but you've heard it said in culture, right? He who dies with the most toys wins. But the reality is there are no U-Hauls behind hearses. And in eternity, we'll carry nothing with us in our hands, only that which is in our hearts. So we've got to invest inside of God's kingdom inside of what's going to be in the heart. 
So we can't take anything with us. We can't desire financial gain, run after financial gain, because we know that a love for the world will destroy us. A love for stuff, a love for money, a love for culture will utterly destroy us. He, he says it here, uh, verse 10, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils, and it is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith, and they've been pierced with many pangs. I, I can tell you, I, I have witnessed people in the church who started out with some money, and it grew to a lot of money, and now they are really not even part of the faith any longer. They're not plugged in with Christians. They're not in Christian community. They're not seeking after Jesus like they were. Money brings to, to, to our lives uh, uh, much of it. If we are desiring it, a love for money will ruin us. Jesus actually says it this way in Matthew chapter 6. He says, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot, this is Jesus speaking, you cannot serve God and money. And then he adds to this, therefore be anxious about nothing, about your life or what you'll eat or what you'll drink, about your body or what you put on. Is life not more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. Be in the moment. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? I like this, this, this verse uh, as he says, look at, just look at the birds, man. They're not, they're not storing up all of their stuff. How many of you have storage units you haven't visited in years? You don't have to admit it. Like We're so wealth so wealthy, so filled with stuff that, that many of us, many of us in our culture pay somebody to store our stuff that we don't see. But we, we've attached our, psychologically, we've attached our emotions to these things. Have you, have you ever watched the show Hoarders? It's just people who struggle with, with obtaining things and, and they're so broken because of something they've experienced in their childhood, that they feel like they can't get rid of anything because if I get rid of this thing, it's attached to this memory and that memory is attached to this child and if I get rid of it, it's like getting rid of a child. That's what happens. That's the place where, again, culture just, if we allow it to eat away, that's the, 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 the far end of the spectrum of where we'll go. And, 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 yet, and yet Paul tells us, he says, look at the birds they don't store anything. They're fully in the moment. And I love you even more than that. Stop storing up for yourself riches on earth where they're going to be destroyed and the moth will get it and the rust will get it. I mean, you know our, one of the things our culture does that's just insane. Well, first of all, let's just recognize when you get something new, when you purchase a new thing, you get a high when you open it. I still remember opening boxes of toys as a kid and remembering the smell of, of, of cancer coming out of that package. <laughs> that, that plastic smell, right? Or this, the opening of a new box. Do you know our culture has gone so far with this? You can literally find YouTube channels where it is only dedicated to opening up things. With millions of views. Just YouTube channels dedicated to, well, I got a new camera. Watch me open it up. You can't afford it, but I can. 
oh, that's got a good smell to it, right? That's how they talk on YouTube too. <laughs> There's, <clears throat> the culture is constantly telling you, love materialism, want to earn money, want things, seek after things, compare yourself to celebrities, compare yourself to the rich. And Paul is continually encouraging, no, this is going to destroy you. This is going to ruin you. Don't compare, don't covet, enjoy what you have, live within your means. He says that, that it's the root of all kinds of evil. Take note, he's not saying money is the root of evil. Some people misquote this. Money's the root of evil. No, money is not the root of evil. It's the root of all kinds of evil. Money is what we call amoral. Did you know that? It, it, it means it's neither good nor it's bad. It's just a thing. What you do with it makes it good or bad. So it's not bad to want money unless you are desiring to fall in love with money because the Christian aim is not to get rich. That's not our aim. Our aim is to fall in love with Jesus. And if God blesses you with money, and I hope he has, that's not necessarily a bad thing. Scripture teaches us to be content with what we have, but we need to be free from the love of money. That's Hebrews chapter 13. Free from the love of money. Don't desire it. Don't love it. Don't long for it. Don't work yourself to the bone trying to get it. But if you get it, and I hope you do, use your wealth for the glory of God. So there's nothing wrong with having money. There's nothing wrong with being rich. I have met some stingy poor people. And I have met some very generous rich people. Uh, in fact, some of what we have here at the church is because of the generosity of people who have said, we want to give to the kingdom of God. We have a beautiful playground park that we didn't used to have that several years ago someone in the church said, I want to buy and have a playground built for you. And they built it. One Sunday, not that long ago, some of you know the story, but uh, we were talking about how, you know, lovely California decided to send us a letter uh, to the church to let us know that our, our church bus was no longer going to be allowed on California roads because, you know, it's bad. It's a bad truck. The, the exhaust is going to kill everybody. And so we can't, we can't use this wonderful bus that somebody purchased for us. We can't use it anymore. It's okay. We need, we need now to get a couple vans. So we're going to buy a couple vans. So we needed to work that into the budget, mentioned it on a Sunday. And, and someone who had never been to our church before, first time they were here, as, we, uh, as they were walking out, handed me a $50,000 check so we could buy a new, new van for the, the church and the youth group. Or somebody who had the money who, who said, they then sent me an email and said, oh, by the way, I don't know how much vans are, but if you need more, just let me know. Just generosity of people. See, what, what happens is when we have money, we use our money for the, for the glory of God, not for ourselves, but for others, to help God and to help his people. In regards to our money, what we do with it or our desire to do with it, ultimately can make or break our happiness forever. What we decide to do with our finances, Jesus, Jesus said it this way, he says, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. If you have something that you can't give away, you don't own it, it owns you. Everything that we have for God should be used for kingdom purposes. 
That's yes to our money. That's yes to our homes. That's yes to our cars. That's yes to our clothing. We are called as Christians to live so simply that we're willing to be overly generous, to give more away than we could ever think or imagine. Because Jesus literally, who is the richest, richest in the, the, the entire universe, where he owns everything, literally became poor to enrich our lives, didn't he? He gave up heaven to come to earth to die for his people. Do not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy. Right? You get a high when you buy something new, but that high doesn't last very long, does it? I remember the first time buying a new car and then a little while later, a few years later, looking and seeing that there was rust on it. Oh, no. Wanting it to feel new, wanting it to, to, be, to be something that would bring happiness, and it doesn't. So in order to live simply, in order to glorify God, we must use our time, our treasure, our talents, that which God has given us, to be overly generous with those things. The biblical principle in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6 is this, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. But each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. What I love about this verse is he says this. He says, okay, really, the lesson is this. What, what you put into Christianity with your time, treasure, and talent will equal what you get out of Christianity. And that's true of every aspect of life, isn't it? I had a, a young man yesterday I was talking to, and he was telling him to fall more in love with Jesus. And he said, how do I fall more in love with Jesus? I said, how do you fall in love with anybody? You've got to spend time with them. You got to pray, you got to read. If you don't if you don't put some effort in, it's going to be a little hard for you to pull something out. Any relationship that you have requires some kind of effort and a little bit of work. Salvation doesn't require effort and work, but relationship and intimacy does. If I don't take my wife out on dates, things don't go so well. They don't. If I spend more time doing face-to-face with her, if I spend more time uh, loving her, I, our relationship is built. Same thing, same thing with my kids. Just just yesterday, our kids get like an hour of tablet time a week. And so, <laughs> good job, Dad. Um, and so, so my, my youngest, he's, he's four years old. He plays this, this little game. Uh, we, <laughs> I'm not going to explain it to you. Um, he plays this game. So anyways, he's in his room and he's playing his game. And he's just by himself. The other kids are all playing Minecraft, okay? They're, they're all together. The three older ones, they all get it. But my youngest, he's four. He's not Minecraft capable yet, okay? He doesn't know how to do it, so he's playing a simpler game. But he's in his own room, so he's isolated. And I walk by, and he goes, Dad! And I go, yeah, come sit with me. My four-year-old, I sit down. I go, okay, buddy, I'll sit down with you. So I sit down, and he goes, can you watch me? Yeah. And I'm amazed at what he can do on that screen, just even with an hour a week. And then he says, can I sit in your lap? Yeah. And so for 20 minutes, I, I, I just took 20 minutes to have him sit in my lap, to be in the moment with him, to not look at my screen, but just to be there with him as he shares, look at what I can do. Look at what I can do. He just wanted to spend time with that. So intimacy has grown through time spent with Jesus. And as we spend time with him, we need to also understand that we've got to put into the kingdom of God, into his purposes. The Bible has much to say about using our time, using our treasures, and using our talents 
for the kingdom of God. Go above and beyond. Do you know that the church does need money to operate? You know, does anybody not know that? Not that the pastors would get rich, and nobody's getting rich here, but that we can do things like camp and make that price of camp, for the most part, what we've been able to do is usually keep camp around $100 per kid, if we can do it. You know how much it is to sit a kid to camp? Three to $500 per kid. So if we can have a kid go for $100 and then build, build into scholarships for some kids to not pay anything because some of them can't afford it, that's amazing. I would love for our kids to go to camp, have a dance, do youth group, do events, whether it's trunk or treat or whether it's night in Bethlehem, and have all of those things 100% free to the community because of the generosity of God's people that we're continually communicating to our culture and to our community that God's love, God's things... God's grace, God's community is 100% free. Don't you want that? Then, then give more. <laughs> 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 uh. <laughs> I just tell it like it is, I guess. <laughs> Every now and then you just cut out all of the, all the soft corners and just put it out there. Um, so here's one of the things that's, that, that, that is the reality of part of what's happening within our church. Right now, right now, our church, just like Timothy's church, is growing. In many churches, it's not the case. It's not the case. Um, I looked on the, I've been trying to stay in touch with as many of the churches in our area in Reno and stuff as possible and the ones that I'm involved in through our particular district and what have you and I, I, someone asked me about the Catholic Church and said, how's the Catholic Church doing? And I don't have a relationship with the Catholic priest. They don't really like us, to be honest with you. And so I, um, I looked up on their website, uh, and, and on their front webpage, they're asking for money because they've lost 50% of their income since the coronavirus. 50%. You know what a blessing it is as your pastor, as, as the guy who gets to kind of you know, lead this thing and take either, either praise I don't deserve because it's a team of people that, doing it, that are doing it or, or criticism that maybe I do deserve. That we're in a season where, where if, if you remember in those first three months, man, we were like, okay, 40%, we're going to lose 40% of our income. That's what I was being told by all of the gurus, all the financial people, all the other church people, be prepared. And here I am wrestling through with our elders. What's it going to look like to cut pay back for our staff? What is it going to look like to, to maybe have to let maybe one or two personnel go for a period of time? We stopped spending money at the church altogether because we don't own anything. We're just good stewards of it. We need to keep the doors open as much as we could, still do counseling and all those different things. And, and, and can, I just, can I just say, I haven't said it to this point, but you know what? For three months, we did shut the church down because that's what we felt we needed to do. And I look back on those three months, and, and I didn't have the, the, the biblical knowledge at that time. I didn't have uh, the understanding of the virus at that time to exactly know what we should have done. But, but man, I, I really wish we would have never closed day one. And, and for some of you, I apologize and ask for forgiveness. For some of you at home, I, I know you're like, well, wait, you still should be closed. And I understand why you feel that way. <laughs> But I, I know now without a shadow of a doubt by looking at God's word and even looking at the statistics, God wants his people to come together and gather. 
And not that long ago, we were talking about cutting staff, talking about cutting finances. And now we're at this beautiful place where we're, we're like, you know what? We get to dream. You know, we're out of, pretty much we're out of parking. There, there's not that much room left in here. There's some room at the 830 service. Maybe we add a third service. Or maybe, maybe we love Jesus so much we don't care if we have to park down the street and walk. Maybe we're so in love with Christ, we're okay if we sit on the floor. Whatever it might be. Point being, though, is if we're going to reach more people, we need more of you to serve, more of you to give, more of you to be generous so we can reach more people because Jesus is in the business of adopting more Christians into his family. It's not just about us, is it? You got your piece of the pie. He has saved you. He loves you. He's intimate with you, and he will be no matter what. And that is not for us to keep to ourselves. We don't put it under a bushel. We put it on the hill that the rest of the world can see. Because when we're generous with our time and our treasure and our talent, the world says there's something very different and very unique about you. You're not spending it on yourself. You're not growing your own kingdom. You're growing the kingdom of Christ. Why? Because the world doesn't have our treasure. Our money is not our treasure. Jesus is our treasure. We're in love with him and in love with the gospel. It's amazing to me that even some of us still believe that somehow we can earn God's love when he has given it to you freely. God has been good to us. Can I just also just add just as it's a pastoral moment you are a pleasure to lead this has been a complete blast for me over the last few months you have been an incredible example of faithfulness to the gospel and i just want to thank you for making my job so much easier than it was several months ago i hated you in march I might be getting too comfortable up here. Um, Tim Keller says, every other treasure you have to purchase, but Jesus is the only treasure that purchased you. Because of that, your money will no longer be your hope. It will be a sign of your hope. Your money will no longer be your hope. You won't be the thing that makes you feel secure in the world. If you're afraid to give away your money, it's your hope. If you're afraid to give away your money, it's your significance. See, we're, we're called to not use people or not to use the gospel as a means of gain, but rather we're to use money to reach people for Jesus. We're to use our stuff to reach people for Jesus, to be generous. The other night, a real close family of ours in the church had us over for dinner. And they shared with me, they said, you know, in, in the first few months of shutting down, we were considering moving and leaving the area. And the reason was because the only thing that was really keeping us in the area was our church family. But once our church family was gone, we felt like, well, what's keeping us here? And so they started doing all this planning to leave the area, and then I was encouraging them to pray, and then the church opened up, and because of the church being opened up, and then being able to be back with their family, they have realized, you know what, it'd probably be a bad idea for us to leave. We should stay. And as we were sitting down 
with dinner for them, they, they cooked us a beautiful piece of tri-tip, some lobster tails, and potatoes. And they used their resources to feed me and my four kids. No small task. You know, that's what it is to be generous towards God's people. If you know someone in need that needs help shoveling their driveway and you show up, that's giving your time. If you know, oh my gosh, we've got 100 kids next door. We might need some children's workers. You know, oh man, the, the youth group needs some help. I mean, here's the thing. We're growing and we need more. And because God is good, He'll continue to give more. And, and one of the things that's been a blast about leading you in this season is that almost everyone that's been new that's been showing up, you haven't just sat down in your seat and showed up. You, you've come and said, how can I serve? How can I help? That's giving up your time because sometimes, sometimes we have a lot of money and we should give more money. And sometimes we don't have a lot of money and so you give time, effort, energy, passion, There's a time and a place for us to give in different ways. Just as the widow who gave that one penny, and Jesus says, look, she gave more than anybody else. She gave far more than anybody else. We live sacrificially because Jesus lived sacrificially for us. So the encouragement this morning is that we'd be content because Jesus is our treasure. That we'd use our resources for the kingdom of God because the kingdom of God is worth investing in that we would help the poor of the world and we would help the needs of the saints. You know, one of the things that we do as a church, and it's an incredible thing, we give close to 30% of what comes into the church completely away. Close to 30% of what comes into the church goes to church planting, missionaries, needs in the community. We give an enormous amount. And, and that may not seem like enough to you, but, I, it, but <clears throat> and we would love to give more. And I'm sure as we grow, we'll be able to give more. But most churches hover right around 10%. Most churches have mortgages to pay, too much staff, too much debt, too much whatever it might be. And so 10% is what they can afford, and then there's operational cost, 90% operational cost. We're at 30%. And we've been able to hire some amazing killer staff at our church. We have some amazing staff members at Sierra Bible that love you, and care for you, and we need just as many of those staff members because there's so many of us to reach out to. And I'd love to continue to build that team as God sees fit. We get to dream about what will God do next in 2021. What year are we in? I don't even remember anymore. We get to dream. And and I think that God's asking you, be, be a bigger part of it. Be a bigger part of it because it's going to be worth it. We are part of a growing, thriving church in the Tahoe Basin because God is so kind and gracious to us. He's so generous. Amen? Would you stand with me as we pray? Lord, we, um, we come before you humbled, hopefully humbled, Lord, at how good you are to us. That you value us 
to such a degree, Lord, that you came from heaven to earth, that you would live amongst your sinful people that are so broken and in need. And you've met that need, Lord, in spades. You've given us more than we could ever think or imagine. And so, Lord, I pray the right response would be for us to be filled with gratitude and to be filled with generosity. Would you help us do that with your spirit? Because we are desperate for your hope, your help in that, Lord. And again, I just thank you that you've sent so many beautiful and wonderful people to our church. They're not perfect, but they're yours and they're ours. You've created a beautiful church family here. And you deserve all the glory and credit and honor for it. But we'd also also ask, Lord, would you would you bring us more of the orphaned? More of the widowed? Would you bring us those who are in need of salvation? That we would get to be a part of them coming to faith and growing closer to you. And Lord, if there's anyone that is tuning in or maybe they're here for the first time or the first few times and they haven't given their life to you yet, I pray, Lord, that they would know in confidence that all they have to do is ask you in faith to come and live and abide in them they would ask that in prayer. Lord, would you, would you come abide in me? Would you live in me? Would you forgive me of my sin? And would you build a relationship with me founded on the word of God and grace for the rest of my life? And if they pray that, Lord, may they feel secure that they are your child. They now can start a new life in you as a new creature. Thank you for those that that may be occurring for. Thank you for those that that will occur for. And thank you for doing that in us already that have it. We give you thanks for this is the will of God. In Jesus' name, amen. say